I'm Rabbi Jeremy Marquise, and this is the Rabbinic Journey Podcast. This episode is a little different than the normal ones. This was a Talmud lecture I did on Facebook Live, uh, so you can go and check the link and watch it if you'd like. But if you feel like you could listen to it and that would bring you value, here it is. Enjoy. All right. Um, for those who, uh, who are joining me or, or will be joining me soon, um, I uh, ex- am excited to be uh, learning Talmud with you. This will be my first experiment. I'm just testing out some of the equipment. There's a bit of a lag, so you'll have to, to forgive me for that. Um, so when you comment, you'll um, that, that'll be a part of it. So... Um, what are we doing? What are we learning today? Why, why does it matter? So one of my uh, favorite uh, pieces of text is this one. Um, not this specific text, but, but really the tractate in general. It is a, um, from Masechet Megillah. Um, what I like about Masechet Megillah Um, Masecha Megillah is um, generally about Purim and, and ends up spinning out to a lot of other things. The rabbis are um, really, really uh, associative, um, and so they spin out. Um, so as they um, talk about different things, so when they start talking about the, reading the Megillah, they might talk about uh, reading uh, the Torah or other pieces of text. Today we'll see that they're talking about the reciting of the Shema. And so uh, that's basically that. This was, uh, Megillah is the first Mishnah um, I ever learned and also the first Talmud that I ever learned. So I have a, a personal association uh, to it. So um, glad, um, glad to be studying it once again. Um, so I want to give a shout out to Rabbi Patricia Fenton, who um, is uh, was my first Talmud teacher where we learned uh, Megillah. So hello, Sarah. See you there. And um, yeah, so we'll get started. The way we'll do this is we'll read. Uh, I'll, I'll flip the, the screen so you can see the, the text itself. And then we'll, um, we'll I'll read it and I'll try and explain it uh, as best as I can. Um, I'm watching comments on my phone here. And so uh, if you have uh, questions or comments or want to be a part of the conversation, uh, just, just, you know, go ahead and do that. Okay. So what we're looking at here is uh, right above me is the English translation. Um, and then on the left, on the, this way is, um, is the Hebrew and will be Aramaic. Um, what you're looking at when you look at the English is the bold is the translation of the text. Uh, we're looking at safaria.org. It's an amazing resource. I encourage uh, everybody to, uh, to look at it, to use it. It's great. They just got uh, the Steinsaltz Talmud, uh, which is what we're looking at above. So that non-bolded text right above me is the uh, Steinsaltz commentary where he explains it. So he wrote it originally in Hebrew. And it's sort of uh, explaining in between the gaps of, uh, of the text. So um, with that, um, let's, let's get started. 
So uh, I, I'm going to read it in, um, in, in English because I want this to be as accessible as possible to everybody. Um, but the Hebrew and the Aramaic is there. I'll keep track of it so that you can um, read that as well. So we'll read the first part of the Mishnah, which is a second century text, uh, early rabbinic text, where they basically just lay out the rules. And then uh, later we'll get into the Talmud, where, where they'll um, have a back and forth and discussion. So we'll read the first part of the Mishnah, which is relevant to the Talmud we're learning, um, and then and we'll get we'll get started in the Gemara after that. So, with regard to one who reads the Megillah out of order, reading a later section first and then going back to an earlier section, he has not fulfilled his obligation. Now, uh, this is a gendered text, um, but this really applies to everybody. This is not gendered. I usually try and uh, keep track of that, so I will normally read those things as one has not fulfilled their obligation. Uh, you, you do what's right for you, what feels right for you when you, when you learn this on your own, uh, but that's the way that, that I'm going to do it. So um, I see you there, Marissa. Glad you're, you're joining us. Um, okay, so once again, if you read it out of order, you've not fulfilled your obligation. Um, so if I read chapter two and then chapter one and then chapter six and then chapter, doesn't work. Haven't filled my obligation to read the Megillah. So if... Uh, the next part of the Mishnah, if one read it by heart or by me from memory, or if they read uh, it in translation, in this case, uh, Steinsaltz reads this as Aramaic, or in any other language that one does not understand, hasn't fulfilled their obligation. So, for example, I don't speak Portuguese. Um, if I read it in Portuguese, it doesn't matter that it's a translation. I don't understand it. So it doesn't help uh, at all. Um, However, and then the Mishnah will continue. However, for those who speak a foreign language, one may read the Megillah in that foreign language. So, since the Megillah is written in Hebrew, and foreign language relevant to, uh, to that would be English, because I understand English, the Mishnah suggests that I can read the Megillah in that language. And we'll see whether or not that's exactly true when we get into the Talmud. And finally, if I speak that foreign language and I heard it in Ashurit, who which uh, Steinsaltz understands to be Hebrew, then I have fulfilled my obligation. So regardless of what language I speak, if I've read it in Hebrew, I fulfilled my obligation. And that's, that's what we're doing. And that's what we do now. Right? When we read the Megillah, we always read in Hebrew. It covers everybody's bases, no issues. Um, because, and the subtext here is, even if you don't know Hebrew, it doesn't matter, you still fulfilled your obligation. And for the rabbis, that's the core uh, piece of this. So um, we're going to skip the next couple sections of Mishnah because they're not related to the Talmud that we're learning, um, but they're great. You should always study Mishnah. It's the, the foundation to understanding rabbinics. So I'm going to scroll a little bit here, and you can follow along on your own or here if you want, whatever is best for you. We'll read along here. So... The Gemara. What is the Gemara? Let me just pause. The Gemara is the commentary uh, expounding of uh, the text by later rabbis on the Mishnah. So imagine it's 200 years after the Mishnah. You and your fellow rabbis are arguing, discussing, challenging each other, trying to understand what the Mishnah is, trying to make meaning out of it. You know, this is a very technical piece of Talmud. Um, so to understand that the interest for them is, is, to, is to learn not just the obligations, not just the rules, but how to think. And that's ultimately what Talmud is really about. It's 
understanding how difficulty. So you'll have to bear with me with the uh, the broadcast here, um, whether or not I can't tell if it's me or the thing. So. Okay, it looks like we're uh, looks like we're good. So um, we'll get started in the Talmud here. Okay, um, so it was taught in the Mishnah that one who reads the Megillah out of order has not fulfilled uh, their obligation. So then the Gemara asks, from where are these matters derived? Now that question fundamentally tells us that they are going to try and find a verse from the Torah or from the Tanakh to pin this opinion to, right? They have to have a source, a reason, a place that they derived this idea from. So the first answer is from Rava. Rava said, this verse states concerning Purim, that they should unfailingly observe these two days according to their writing, according to their appointed times every year. Now, this is from the book of Esther, which is appropriate when we're talking about Purim. And so Rava is understanding this verse to tell us then that the word times, right, according to their writing, according to their appointed times every year, that this actually means the two days of Purim, the 14th and the 15th of Adar, which was only just a couple of days ago, right, Sunday and uh, Monday this past week, at least uh, this year in 2017. And so we understand this by uh, way of analogy, right? That's what Scheinsalz is telling us, that just as their appointed times cannot be out of order, Therefore, uh, the reading, right? So the 15th of Adar and the 14th of Adar can't go in the wrong order, right? The, the 15th of, of March can't come before the 14th of March, right? If, if we're using a different uh, analogy here, um, then they have, to, uh, they have to do it in order. And therefore, uh, the writing must not uh, be out of order. And the way they're understanding the writing is when I'm reading the Megillah, right? Just as the days can't be in the wrong order, so too um, I, uh, we can't uh, read it in the wrong order. Okay, so uh, where we are is trying to understand where these things are derived. That's where Rava got it from. And of course, because this is a back and a forth, um, the, the rabbis are going to challenge it. The, the rabbis, uh, Gemara, the Gemara rejects this derivation, Right? This is not a good evidence, the Gemara is saying here. Right, exactly, Marissa. Right, they need to find a source for the idea, and then they have to challenge it. It's exactly right. So, they reject it. It says, is reading written here at all? Right, the text, the verse itself says, observing. It is observing that is written here in the verse, and not reading. As it is written, and here they'll quote it again, that they should unfailingly observe these two days according to their writing and according to their appointed times. Right, so the challenge says, it says observe, it doesn't say read, this is bad proof. We're talking about reading the Megillah, this doesn't count, this doesn't work. All right, now that's a pretty reasonable challenge, and now the Gemara, or Rava, or in the voice of Rava, is going to have to resolve it. Right, they're going to have to make it work, otherwise it's going to be a thrown out proof. And so this is what the rabbis say. All right, we're here to write the word rather here. Rather, the proof is from here as it is written, and that these days should be remembered and observed throughout every generation. Now, this is another quote from Esther. And this is how they deal with it. Remembering 
is juxtaposed to observing, indicating just as observing cannot be out of order, as they should derive from the words that they should be unfailingly observed these two days according to their writing and, to, uh, and according to their appointed times, so too remembering by reading the Megillah may not be out of order. So just to quickly summarize that piece, the rabbis are saying the word remember, right, that they should unfailingly observe these two days according to their writing and according to their appointed times, right, that, that remembering, sorry, that came from the verse above, that these days should be remembered and observed, that when we put remembering and observe together, we then build a relationship between these two ideas, that observing uh, the holiday and reading the holiday are, are correlated. And so therefore, they resolve this concern that the verse didn't work, right? So whenever you're reading observe in this context, it also means to remember, and remembering uh, can be done by way of reading the Megillah. Now, you may not find this to be a particularly good challenge, but, but that's how the, the, uh, the rabbis are going to resolve that question in terms of reading it out of order. Now, the one measure of Talmud is a sugya, right? That's how you measure a single unit of Talmud. So that's the end of the sugya. That's the end of the first thought conversation that the, the Talmud wants to have um, on the Mishnah. And then now, you can tell by this little symbol here, uh, which you can't see, of course, since I'm pointing at the screen, um, where it says the sages, that little symbol um, uh, means that they're about, they're going to start uh, with a new subject. So we're going to pause. Everything we learned makes sense. Um, hello, Troy. Nice to see you. Um, now that we, um, we've learned uh, that the first part, we're now going to jump onto the second, um, uh, the second section here. And now again, remember, the rabbis are associative. They're much more interested in letting their attention wander over time than being stuck rigidly going from A to B to C to D. So, kind of refreshing the mind for the moment, uh, we're going to get right uh, to a new idea. So, I'm gonna, again, I'm going to read it, and then, and then I'll, I'll try my best to explain it. And if you have any questions, uh, feel free to, uh, to throw it in the chat. I'm keeping an eye on my phone here, um, doing my best, the best that I can. Okay. Now, once again, the bold is the literal translation, um, and the not bold is uh, the Steinsaltz commentary, uh, originally written in Hebrew, translation here on safaria.org. So, once again, the sages taught in a brighta. Now, a brighta is a text from the early rabbinic period of the second century in parallel with the Mishnah, so it has similar authority. It says this, this halacha, this rule of not reading out of order, also applies to halal, and also to the recitation of the Shema, and also to the Amidah prayer, meaning that to fulfill one's obligation, one must recite the text of each of these in order. So, for those who are just joining us, we just had this conversation. Hey, Mike, nice to see you. Um, we, we just read this whole thing about, oh, we have to read it in order, and it sort of got resolved in, in most of the case. Here the rabbis are saying, okay, that's true about Megillah, but it's also true about these other things. In this case, Hallel, which is a series of psalms that are recited on holidays, and also the recitation of the Shema. Now, the Shema is a couple of paragraphs from uh, Deuteronomy, and if you have a Sidur, now is probably a good time to grab it. If not, um, try and, uh, and bring it in here uh, and share what, what, what is relevant. And then also with the Amidah, which we're not going to talk about in this video, but maybe in a later video, 
um, about the order of the prayers. So the recitation of the Shema, the Shema is three paragraphs, um, and, and they have a particular order. Okay, moving along. And then the rabbis are going to ask the same kind of question. From where do we derive that halal may not be recited out of order? Right, so first, once again, the first question is, the rabbis are trying to understand, how did we even get here? Where's the rule coming from? So here, we have, a, we have an answer from Rabbah, a different rabbi. That was Rava above. This is Rabbah uh, now. And he said, as it is written in Hallel, in the, in the Psalms itself, from the rising of the sun until its setting, the Lord's name is to be praised. All right, so it comes from Psalms. So just as sunrise and sunset cannot be reversed, so too halal may not be recited out of order. It's a nice drash. It's a nice interpretation that the day goes in a particular order. It doesn't start with, you know, evening and then go to morning. It, the day goes in the normal way, and therefore it's quoted in halal. We know that halal should be recited uh, in the same way. So that's one answer. Rav Yosef has a different answer. He says... It's derived from this verse in Hallel. So he has a different, uh, different answer. And he says, This is the day that the Lord has made. From a different psalm. Just as the day follows a certain order, so too Hallel must be recited in its proper order. So he has the same basic drash in terms of the day being in a particular order, and therefore we recite it in a particular order, uh, but he finds it from a different place, which kind of just goes to prove there's no one way to think about Judaism. There are lots of ways fundamentally, even uh, from in the Talmud, which is, uh, you know, 15 to 1600 years old. Okay, moving along here. And again, if you have any questions, oops, too far, any questions or comments, uh, definitely throw them in, uh, in the thread, and I'll try and respond to them as best I can. So, no, moving along. We were talking about Hallel, which is a series of verses. We found out, we learned from two different places, uh, both from Psalms, uh, that we can't recite it out of order. Rav Avia says, and he has a different answer, now we have three answers, it is derived from the verse in Hallel, blessed be the name of the Lord, indicating that the blessing of God must be just as it's written, right? Blessed be the name. It could have said blessed the name of the Lord, but it didn't. It said blessed be the name. And therefore, it needs to tell us, right, that it has to be in that particular order. That's the argument he made. So that's answer number three. Rav Nachman bar Yitzchak said, and some say it was Rav Acha Bar Yaakov, right? So there's a, there's a value in rabbinics that should always quote the person, right? You don't ever take credit for somebody else's teaching, right? I didn't write this Talmud. I can't take, take credit for it. Well, all we can do is try and quote in the name of, L'Shem Omro, right? In the name of the person who said it. And since they didn't know exactly who said it, because this is a oral tradition over time, they like to say, okay, well, it could have been one of these two people. So Rav Nachman bar Yitzchak, right? Nachman, the son of Yitzchak, said, and some people say it was Rav Acha bar Yaakov, the, Acha, the son of Yaakov, who said, it's derived, this idea that we can't recite Hallel out of order, is derived from the end of the verse we mentioned before, from now and forevermore, right? Me'ata ve'ad olam, right? That's also from Psalms. Therefore, it says, Rabbi Steinsaltz, i.e. It, it should be like time, which cannot be reversed. As much as some of us might wish that we, um, you know, things could go backwards and redo, uh, doesn't work that way. Time moves uh, in one direction, time's arrow, 
and, uh, and therefore we need to recite Hallel in that same order. So that's the basic idea, right? Different interpretations, different sources for why we can't recite Hallel in the wrong order. And remember, we started talking about can we recite the Megillah in any order? The answer is no, we can only recite it in order. And we've now associatively gone to somewhere else. We're talking about Hallel. Okay, moving along, and you can see here in the middle of this page that we're actually between two pages. We're at the end of 17a, which is the first side of the page, to 17b, the second side of the page. You can see that on the Hebrew side better than you can on the English side. So, from where do we know one has not fulfilled their obligation of reciting the Shema if they recited it out of order? Okay, so we started with Megillah. They said, oh, this is also true with Hallel and Shema and Amidah, which is the standing prayer. So we did Hallel. We got a couple of answers, three to four answers, and now we're on Shema. So they've asked that same question. How do we know? What's the, what's the source for this? We've got to prove our point here. Here we go. It was taught in a Brita. Now remember, Brita is a text from the same period as the Mishnah, about the second century, very authoritative, right? A Talmud text and a Brita or a Mishnaic text or a Tanaitic text, whichever way you want to call it. They can't, right, the, the Tanaitic, the Brita is going to have more authority. Okay, so it was recited in a Brita. It was taught in a Brita. The recital of the Shema must be as it is written. Therefore, meaning to say in Hebrew, these are this, this is the statement of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. So this is important. So if you've got a piece of paper, this might be worth writing down. Uh, I'm a chart person. You can see my chart from before. So we're going to, I'll try and do it verbally as best I can. So, for Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the Shema must be written in Hebrew, or recited in Hebrew, all right? Not in any other language. But the rabbis say it may be recited in any language. So now we have this dichotomy, all right? Hey, Max, um, the first side is Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, who says um, Shema must be recited in Hebrew, and the sages who say it may be recited in any language. The Gemara asks... Why does Rabbi Yehuda Nasi say? Say this. What's his reason? The verse states, right, because he's got a quote from a verse. That's going to be where his authority comes from. Says, now this is from Deuteronomy 6.6, which is from the Ve'ahavta. It says, and these words shall be. Vayyu, vayhayu, right? They shall be. Right? Meaning to say, teaching that these words and the words of the Shema must always shall be as they are, and therefore the Hebrew language. So he's looking at a really, really specific read at one tiny word, which literally translates shall be, right? Now, of course, it, it makes sense when you, um, when, when, when you're, they're talking about the words shall be, that's the, the quote from, from the uh, itself. Uh, in, the, in the Gemara text, it just says v'hayu, but we know that the, the full context is the words shall be. And so for him, that means that they have to be written in Hebrew. But let's make sure we understand this is very technical. He's looking at one word and, and putting a lot of, of emphasis on it. Now the Gemara asks, and for the sages, what is their reason that they think it could be recited in any language? And the verse states, Hear, O Israel, Shema Yisrael, which could also be understood as understand, O Israel. Now the word Shema in, in modern Hebrew means to hear, to listen. But in a rabbinic sense, 
it really means to, or in addition, it means to really understand, right? So, um, so for them, or for the sages, uh, which is kind of the general authority, majority opinion kind of thing, uh, they understand this to mean that when it says Shema Yisrael, it means understand Israel, which indicates that one may recite these words in any language that you hear, therefore understand. So if I recite it in English, then uh, that would count. If I recite it in Portuguese, which I don't know, wouldn't count, right? So we have these two opinions and two different reasons why uh, we're doing that. Okay. So it gets a little complicated from here. I think we can, uh, we can do it. Um, do my best. This part is super confusing. Um, so you'll have to bear with me. So review before we jump ahead. We have Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi who says, the recitation of the uh, Shema must be in Hebrew. And he does it from the words V'hayu. And the rabbis say, you can recite it in any language because it says Shema, which means hearing, which means to understand. Those are the two points. So now this part goes like this. The Gemara asks, and according to Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi as well, isn't it indeed written here, Shema? What does he learn from this word, if not that the Shema may be recited in any language? See, the rabbis have this idea that if you say something, then uh, if you quote a verse, uh, that verse can only be used once. So here, the Gemara is asking, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, right, he uses Vihayu. How does he understand Shema if not the way the sages do? That's the question. Hey, Josh, nice to see you. So the Gemara answers, this word is necessary to teach something else. Make heard to your ears what your mouth is saying. Namely, the Shema must be recited audibly, not merely thought in one's heart. So for Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, he understands Vehayu to mean it has to be recited in Hebrew, and he understands Shema differently than the sages, which means to understand, and therefore could be recited in any language. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi understands Shema to mean that you have to recite it so that you can hear it. So you might have been in a synagogue where people are mumbling, right, that they're saying it out loud. Now you might think to themselves, you might think to yourself, why are they doing that? Right, so there's a tension between, I have to say this thing out loud, as you can tell here from the Talmud, but I also need to be able to hear it. It doesn't count if I can't hear it. So that's where that this comes from, this idea. And so Rabbi Yehuda Nasi has a different answer for the source of, uh, of the text, uh, for Shema. So then, it goes on like this. The Gemara asks, and how do the sages know this? The Gemara explains, they hold like the one who said that if one recites the Shema, but does not make it audible to his ears, he has nevertheless fulfilled his obligation. So you might ask yourself, well, why didn't the sages say this? Why didn't they say Shema means you have to actually hear it? Because they have a different understanding, which is, even if I don't say it out loud, it doesn't matter. I still fulfilled my obligation. Now, remember, we'll just take this moment and re review because this is very... Now, Gemara gets very complicated, which is we started out talking about the obligation about reading the Shema in order, and we took a brief detour where Rabbi Yehuda Nasi said, Vehayu meant you had to read it in Hebrew, 
And the sages understood that you had to that you had to read it in any language from the word Shema, which meant understand or hear. And so we asked Rabbi Hudanasi, why does what do you do with that? And he understands it that you actually have to be able to hear what you're saying. And the sages say, no, that's not true. Therefore, they don't need that interpretation. So now, and then we're going to ask the same question of the sages. Well, we had, you know, we asked Rabbi Hunasi, why did he, what did he do with the word Shama? Now we're going to ask the sages, what are they going to do with Vahayu? And the Gemara asks, and according to the sages as well, isn't it indeed written, Vihayu, and these words shall be? What do they learn from this, if not that the Shema must be recited in Hebrew? The Gemara answers that this word is necessary to teach, that one must not recite the words of the Shema out of order, but they shall be, Vihayu, as they are in the proper order. And finally, we've gone full circle, right? Rabbi Yehuda Nasi uses this word to understand that they should that he should one should recite the Shema in Hebrew, but the sages don't need that. They understand Shema to mean you can recite it in any language, so it doesn't work for them. They take this word and they understand it to mean that you have to write in order, as it shall be. So Rabbi Hudanasi says shall be must be means language, and for the sages they mean it must be uh, it has to be in order. Then we've gone full circle to finally, finally answer uh, the question. But the Gemara then asks, and from where does Rabbi Yunanasi learn that one must not recite the Shema out of order? Right, so now we, have, we finally have the answer from the sages. We had to get there, it took a little while. Now we have to understand, well, where did Rabbi Yunanasi get this from? Now, it seems really confusing on the surface, right? What, what are we even asking all of this for? Now, it's important for us to understand that the rabbis see this, these obligations as being asked of us directly from the divine. That's, that's no small thing. We have to take that seriously. And so that's why we're spending all this time. In addition, as I said in the beginning, for those of you who, didn't, uh, who, do, who missed the very beginning, I'll, I'll, re I'll refresh your memory here, which is we want to understand how to think rabbinically. It's not just about the answer. This back and forth about what you do with this word and that word, it's really about how do I think? How do I think Talmudically? How do I think rabbinically? How do I make decisions? That's so much of what Jewish learning is about. How do I make decisions? How do I walk through the world in a Jewish way? How do I make good decisions? Now this stuff is really about, really tiny, it's about reciting the Shema. The Shema is also a declaration of faith, so this really matters. So anyway, Back at the ranch, it says, where does Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi understand that you can't recite it out of order? The Gemara answers, he derives it from the fact that the verse does not say just words, but the words. Not just Dvarim, but Hadvarim. Meaning, this refers to specific words, which teaches that they must be recited in their proper order without any variation. Right, so the definite article, the the there, tells us that it's the specific words and not any words. The Gemara asks, right, moving along, and what do the sages learn from this word, these phrase, hadvarim? Right, now we're going back and forth and trying to understand what does everybody do with this? 
The difference between devarim and ha-devarim, words and the words, is inconsequential according to them. So, you know, I, this is so funny to me, right? For the rabbis, doesn't matter. Right, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi understands something from the rabbis, they don't read into it. It just goes to show that the variety of opinions that we, we encounter all throughout the Talmud, and that's part of how we live Judaism now. It's just, it's, there's so much way, so many ways to live Jewishly, to do Jewish, that, you know, we shouldn't get too lost. Now, of course, we're talking about really detailed things, so it, it's, it's funny to say that, but, um, you know, we all understand this stuff differently, and the rabbis do uh, here as well. Okay, moving along. Now, this part is super complicated, and I'll do my best here. So, uh, just uh, by sense of preview, and I found this, this part to be very confusing just for me as well, which is, and you know, I've got my, my book here, so, uh, so I'm looking at the screen as well as the book. That's why I'm not always looking at you. So let me just zoom out here for a moment. The rabbis are trying to understand, right? The, the dilemma that they're about to have is, all right, we have this debate about whether or not you can recite the Shema in one language or another. So if, uh, if we say, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi says, you can only recite the Shema in Hebrew, one begs the question, well, if that's true about the Shema, well, maybe that's not true with the rest of the Torah, right? Maybe, how do we understand then that we can recite the Torah, the rest of the Torah in any language, if we're specifying the Shema, right? That specificity versus generalization, is, that is such a real thing here. Um, and, that's, and that's something that they're really focusing on. So I'll give an example to kind of frame it. If, you know, uh, a parent says to their child, clear off your bed, in your very messy room, and the kid goes and 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 uh, clears off the bed. And the parent comes later and says, "Well, I I told you to clean your room." No, the kid says, "You only told me to clear off my bed." Right? There's that piece of all right. When I say something specific, do I mean the general? Right? And that's part of what this is. So you'll do your best to try and understand this section, uh, but don't get, but don't um, don't worry if you don't. It's really complicated. So the question they're going to ask is, if, because of the specificity, we ask about the generalization, how do you deal with the words? Right? That's how they're going to, the, the, the basis point. So the Gemara analyzes the dispute. We'll do it first with Rabbi Yehuda Nasi and then with the sages. Shall we say that Rabbi Yehuda Nasi maintains that the entire Torah may be recited in any language? Right? Because Rabbi Yehuda Nasi specified that the Shema must be recited in Hebrew. Therefore, we can say, maybe he says that he can recite the whole thing in, in any language. They specified the Shema, but not the whole Torah. As if it enters your mind to say that the entire Torah may be recited only in the sacred tongue, namely Hebrew, and not in any other language, why do I need the Torah to say, Vehayu, and these words shall be? All right, so then they're going to ask the question. Well, if we assume that Rabbi Yehuda Nasi wants to specify Hebrew and use its Vahayu to that, and we want to say, well, Torah only is going to be specified, we're only going to re uh, recite Torah in Hebrew, then what do I even need these words for? Right? If I'm specifying the Shema, but I really mean the whole Torah, I've got superfluous reasons here. I have this reason that, that doubles up. Right? If I mean to say that the whole Torah needs to be recited in Hebrew, and I only talk about the Shema, 
well, why did I only talk about the Shema when it applies to everything? That's the fundamental question here. And then they, uh, they, you know, they, they continue the question here. Why do I need these words with respect to the Shema? Why would I think the Shema is different from the rest of the Torah? Right? That's the question here. If I'm going to specify the Shema, but I really mean the whole Torah, why am I specifying the Shema? The Gemara then rejects this argument. It says there's no proof from here, as even if the Torah must generally be recited in Hebrew, it is nevertheless necessary to specify the matter here. I'm going to pause here before we get to the sense. The Gemara says, the fact that you had to specify the Shema doesn't, doesn't mean anything with the rest of the Torah. Right? If we're saying the Torah must be recited, and the context here is in public readings, it doesn't matter that we're specifying the Shema. It's still, still important. Why is it still important? Without this specification of about the Shema in particular, it might have entered your mind to say that in this context, Shema here means to understand as maintained by the sages, and that the Shema be recited in any language. Therefore, the Merciful One writes in the Torah, and these words shall be to, speech, to teach us that the Shema may be recited only in the original Hebrew. Meaning to say, it was necessary to teach this for Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi because you might have thought the other way. Right? Let me say that again. We're teaching this, uh, for, you know, we're, we're, we're asking this question about Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. And he needs it. He needs this verse to mean what it means so that you don't think like the sages. Now, of course, we're about to read the sages part. It's going to say exactly the opposite. But understand, right, that the rabbis need these verses to mean certain things and not other things because otherwise their paradigm doesn't hold up. That's what we're talking about here is how do we keep our paradigm standing so you don't think about the other person's paradigm. Now, of course... This is, this is uh, kind of gymnastics with our, with our mind here. So don't get, you know, it's not like uh, your person is going to fall apart, right, who you are, but really an understanding how to think. So let's, let's take a moment and uh, try and find a, a personal example, right? Um, I might need to believe a particular thing, um, and, and, and I believe it a particular way so that I don't think about it another way. I'm not sure if I can say it in a, in a clearer way than that. It's a very confusing section, um, but we'll we'll see. What we can do. If you have any thoughts, please throw them in the in the co in the comments. I'd love to hear uh, how you understand it. Um, certainly, I uh, would love to learn from you uh, as well. All right, let's try the other half. Maybe we'll find it. Uh, we'll find it there. So the Gemara suggests. Right now, we're going to flip and we're going to do the sages first. Shall we say that the sages maintain that the entire Torah must? be recited specifically in the sacred tongue, Hebrew, right? Because we understand, remember, that the sages, they believe that you could recite the Shema in any language, right? And since they specified about the Shema, we're going to say the opposite about the rest of the Torah. So if they're saying the Shema be recited in any language, then the Torah can be recited uh, only in Hebrew. That's the back and forth here that we're, that we're playing with. As if it enters your mind to say, and almost always when it says that, they actually are going to reject it in the end, like we saw. If it enters your mind to say that the entire Torah may be recited in any language, why do I need the Torah to, to write Shema here with respect to the Shema? Why would one think the Shema is different from the rest of the Torah? So it's exactly the same question we asked Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, right? 
if I'm going to say this about the about the Shema, why am I? Why do I need to specify this particular word? Why do I need to understand it in this particular way in order uh, for me to uh, to make it work? The Gemara rejects this argument. <clears throat> right? Even if the Torah may generally be recited in any language, it was nevertheless necessary to specify the matter here. Right? Without such specification, it would enter your mind to say, Vihayu, that the words Vihayu, then these words shall be, to teach the Shema be recited only uh, in Hebrew, as asserted by Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Therefore, the Merciful One writes the, uh, the word here, Shema, in the Torah to teach us that the Shema be recited in any language. Now, of course, we have two conclusions, and so instead of thinking of them as one after another in a linear way, this is really about putting these two things in parallel. If we're going to think for Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, and we're going to make this kind of specification, doesn't that seem superfluous? The answer is no. We needed it so we don't think like the sages. And on the other side, sages, you think it a particular way, you know, it seems superfluous. No, we need it so that you don't think like Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. That's what we're talking about here. Now, we're, this is about structuring our thinking. It's about understanding how the rabbis uh, are thinking. So, Let's just take a step back here, understand what it is that we read, kind of do a, a 3,000 uh, feet up, 30,000 feet up kind of thing. We talked about the, uh, the order of the, I'm going to switch the screen here, so you can see my beautiful face instead of the text. So if, you know, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the, the Mishnah, which talked about how do we understand uh, the instruction to read the Megillah? in a particular order, right? We had an answer, we had a verse. It was then applied broader to Hallel and the Shema and the Amidah. The Amidah section would start right after this. We're going to pause here for tonight. I feel like this is a good place to end. Um, and then we jumped into this question about Hallel. We had four or five different answers as to why you can't recite it out of order. And then we jumped into this question about the Shema. And the Shema is uh, we're being told it can be recited in certain languages, not others, it has to be this order and that order. You have to say it out loud so that we can hear it. All of these different things. And, and so we should understand that the world, and, and truth, we also think this way, that's what a normal conversation is like, is associative. We move from one thing to the next, associating the things, um, as opposed to thinking only linearly. Um, and so the takeaway, the pieces of Talmud learning that I want you to walk away with today is you need certain verses to do certain things for you, and you can't use it for something else. So if I make an argument for, for anything, like, here we go, I'll give you a, a strange example. I think uh, forks are the best utensil, and I think that way because of this verse in the Torah, and you say, no, I, uh, I think um, you know, spoons are the best uh, utensil because of this verse, um, then, hello, Uri. Um, then, you know, I have to ask, well, what do I do with your verse about spoons? What do you do with my verse about forks? Right? Strange example, but it's about understanding how, how do I build a belief system for me and how do I deal with other people who have different beliefs? Right? How do I understand where their sources come from? And, um, and, and that's a paradigm here that, that is absolutely a part of understanding Talmud and um, a piece to this here. And then we get into this big conversation about um, this last piece about not understanding it like the other guy. Now, you could see this cynically, which is, 
I need to stand firm in my beliefs and reject yours, and vice versa. But I think what the rabbis are really understanding this section of Talmud and the kinds of things that we see that are like this, which is um, we don't want to generalize too much. We want to challenge our assumptions. We want to delve deeply into it. And we want to understand ourselves as distinct from the person next to you. So just because I believe something and you believe something doesn't make either of us wrong or either of us right. We have to analyze it. In the end, it's okay for you and I to disagree if we understand the world differently. I think that's really what the takeaway here is. Hey, I just wanted to say thank you for giving me your time and your attention for listening to the Rabbinic Journey podcast. It means so much to me. I really, really appreciate it. If you feel like I gave you some value, please subscribe. Give me a rating on iTunes. It makes a huge difference. Thank you. Thank you.